0: Amen. I love that song. Gotta learn how to use this mic stand myself. Awesome. Amen. Well, I tell you what. Why don't we? Uh, why don't we pray together really quickly, man? Or if you would, just pray with me. Father, I come before you this morning, uh, just really praying to be an instrument of your will. Um, I come before your throne and ask that you speak through me as just a mouthpiece for you, as an instrument for you, to be able to really uh, lead hearts to being able to connect with your scriptures, connect with you and to know you, God, to know you, Jesus, and and your character, your heart, the way you love and lead and uh, and have served us through all of our lives. Even before our lives began, you knew us. Father, I am so grateful for this time to be here this morning. I pray your Holy Spirit works powerfully uh, in and on each of us and that uh, You would move, move us to just understand Your Word in a, better, in a better way, to understand You in a better way. We love You. We give thanks to You. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I told you earlier uh, that we're going to talk about Christian charity this morning, and so the, the title of this morning's sermon is just that. It's, it's Christian charity. Now, when you think of the word just charity in general... What do you think of? We're going to do more of the question and answer. I didn't know they were going to do that, but I was going to do that, so amen. We're just having a lot of this this morning. When you think of charity, what do you think of? Giving. Giving, okay. And what specifically do you think of? Shelters. Shelter, homeless shelters. Do you think of giving money? Time. Time. Yeah. Anybody think of, uh, you know, a little guy standing with a bell? I meant to bring a bell (laughs) in the rush out of the house. You know, I didn't bring it. But uh, you hear the little ding, 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 ding. ding. What is that? Salvation Army. Salvation Army, right? You think of when you think of charity, maybe you think of um, things like Heifer International. Uh, you may think of Salvation Army. You may think of Goodwill. And you may think of Hope Worldwide, right? You might think of um, yeah, serving in a food shelter. You might think of giving some money to someone on the the corner of the you know the street. You might. There are so many different ways that we can consider and think about this idea of charity. And, you know, it it is that, in the sense, we do think of charity in that way, but today what I I hope to do is to ask a question and at least partly answer this idea of what does it mean to have a heart and a spirit that's defined by charity, right? Because we think of charity as the action, but what about the idea of having a charitable heart and a charitable spirit? You know, to define that idea, we could go through this idea of of a charitable heart. We could go through the entire Bible and look at the charitable heart of God. There is so many countless examples. And because, you know, I try to keep my sermons to like 30 minutes, that's not going to happen. So, amen. We're not going to go through the whole thing. But I do feel like that we can walk away at least... With a little bit of the idea of looking at the life of Jesus and seeing his charitable heart and and through his charitable actions, but even just the way he he worked with people and interacted with people. Um, and so, to do that, we're going to go and go ahead and start in John chapter one, the Gospel of John chapter one this morning. And I want to uh, I want to familiarize ourselves a little bit uh, with with two words. Alright, two Greek words. And so I'm going to nerd out a little bit on you this morning. Just a little. So hopefully you'll stick with me. And and one of the words that you're going to we're going to talk about is is let's just look at this bottom one here. Alright, this word that's used for grace. It's it's kadis, Right? And and kadis is is this word that's used for grace. And I'm going to talk about that one in a second. But the first word I want to talk about, we're going to look at this scripture in just a little bit. But the first word I want to mention is actually, uh, I'm going to try to say this as best I can, elemasune, alright, that's how you would say it, uh, but that's not up here, because that word is the literal translation, or, or what you would directly use as the, the idea of charity, in the sense of giving to the poor. So if, if when you are, um, you know, you, let's say you roll down the window, and you give somebody on the street corner uh, you know, a couple dollars, and something like that, you are in the action of of performing this Greek word, elemasune. And and that word, interestingly, only shows up like 14 times in the Bible. Right? Or specifically in the New Testament, it only shows up 14 times. Which to me isn't a whole lot, considering, you know, so much of Jesus' ministry and how you look at his life and how charitable he was and the way that he lived. And so I thought that was intriguing because it, it does create this, uh, for me, as I understand it, there's the idea of the giving to the poor, but then to be charitable of heart and mind is a little bit different. And, and so just having this understanding helps me a little bit. But the second word is this word, kadas, right? And, and or it's more of kadas. Some people say it is charis. But which some of us have heard this word, Uh, you know, I've talked about this a couple times, and so this is a little bit of a refresher for those of us who've heard it, but for those of us who haven't, this word is, is huge. I mean, it's, it's immensely deep and it shows up almost 160 times in the New Testament. So it's, it's, it's a big deal. And in that though, it's, it plays a huge role in how we look and understand the heart of God, um. And in it, it's the gravity of how meaningful it is. I would put it in the depth of complexity and richness of this word. I would put it almost on the same level with the word love. Like, love is so deep and such a rich concept that trying to say, like, you have a simple love, or it's it's just simple love. You're like, is love even simple at all? You know, kind of an idea. I mean... But grace, it's very deep. And so today, I'm only going to talk about one aspect of grace and help enlighten it and illuminate it just a little bit more for us. So maybe as you sit down and and dig into the scriptures on your own this week and, and moving forward, that you might be able to take this and understand it in a little bit better way. It might resonate with you a little bit more powerfully. And so, a quick refresher of some of the things I've said before is, caught us this word... It can often be interpreted as this word favor, like that you would have um, unearned favor. And and this idea of, of this favor that's it's being freely bestowed upon you is is not like, oh, can you do me a favor? But it would be as if you guys have my favor. Does that make sense? Like you're you're my you're my people, you're my church, you're my family, you like you have my favor. Does that make sense? And, and so, in that though, this is, this goes beyond that to go that it's unearned favor. It's not just like because you're my family. It's, it's, there's not a necessarily, you haven't earned it anyway. And so, we're gonna, but the other aspect of this that I would, I would put to us today is I want us to consider the word charity in here. All right? And when you think about this word charity and how we can use it, it's just not the action of charity alone, like the giving of the gift, because we've already talked about that's a, that's a different word, but this heart to be charitable. And even sometimes this, this concept of grace, and we're going to look at this in a second in John 1, is that it can liter- be a literal meaning of like a direct action I've done for you, but it can also be a, a, a defining aspect of how we feel and who we are. You guys with me. Okay, so we're going to pick up here in uh, in John one, and we're going to start in verse one. And in this, what I hope to do is help us see that this was such a defining element of who Jesus was today. All right. So uh, John one in verse one, we're going to read one through five and fourteen through seventeen. Okay, and the This is actually the start of my first point, which is Christ's charity. Verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Now, jump down to verse 14. It says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, if anybody's following along and maybe a little bit of a different translation, maybe you've got the new NIV... Um, maybe you're following along and you on your phone. And you may notice that the wording there is a little different than the wording that, that I just read from from uh, this version, right? And so I, I spent probably a good... Now, somebody smarter than me, like my wife probably could have handled this a lot faster, you know, but I probably spent a good two hours really praying over this passage and really like praying to God, help me understand this, like help me really grasp the depth of everything that's going on. and And... I don't normally feel like I have to spend that much time, but I felt like I spent a lot of time. I read a bunch of the different translations. I got a little deeper into the Greek on it. I mean and, and I do spend, you know, a, a lot of time on myself. But this scripture, I went to another a little more depth and another level in, in looking at it because I felt like there's a there was a lot here. And why I pulled up can we go back to that other slide? I pulled this up because in this scripture the The passage of scripture, the Holy Spirit's really speaking through John, and telling us about Jesus. The scripture tells us that he is he is full of grace in verse fourteen, grace and truth. And, and In verse sixteen, it tells us how that fullness has that he has has been bestowed upon us, blessing upon blessing, is how my my scriptures here read it. Now, as I was digging in and finding this different stuff, I. I had to go back and I had to look at the literal Greek of this for a little bit because the different translations got me confused. And so, if you look at it, it says, "For of His fullness, we." So here's the the New English translation right here, and then you've got the literal Greek. And so, what they did is they just took it word for word. For of His fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. Now, this isn't English. Uh, you know, it's a direct translation from another language, so we have to take it uh, and try to understand it as best we can. And so for me, as I got into this, like I said, this is where I'm nerding out on you for just a little bit, okay? So, so hang with me. Uh, but as I, I got into this, this word, grace, katas, right, is talking about, the, when he mentions fullness, he's talking about verse 14, when he says the fullness of his grace is what he's talking about. And then when he goes on, he goes, grace upon grace. <clears throat> it seems so repetitive to me. Like, from the fullness of his grace, we've received grace upon grace. And what that tells me is that using it to describe him as whom he is, like who God is, right? But then it's also saying that it's an action. It's, it's providing a, a, to provide grace is a blessing in itself. And it may produce a literal action of thing like serving the poor, healing somebody, and we'll we'll look at all that. You guys, this is making sense. And so, hopefully, but in it, in it, I think the um, the scripture is. Excuse me, lose myself. What does it mean that he's saying from the fullness of his grace? we have received grace upon grace. The best I understand the scripture, it says something to this effect. From the fullness of His graciousness, we have received favor upon favor, or blessing upon blessing, or charity upon charity. From the defining aspect of who He is, we have received all of these things. Does that make sense? And so it means that Jesus was so defined by a heart of charitableness, which is to say graciousness, that it overflowed from Him. And into His life, intangible blessings to all of us. And throughout the rest of the Gospel of John, John provides us with practical examples of it. Now here's what's interesting to me, is John starts this way, and then he doesn't mention grace for the rest of his Gospel. Like, it doesn't show up. It actually only shows up in all of the Gospels like, I think it was nine times, this, this word grace. Which I found very interesting in itself. But he defines him and says, this is who he is. Now, John goes, let me tell you about him and show you what his life was like. So that's what I want to do here for a minute. That's the, the Christ's charity, how it defines him and who he is, John 1. And so point two is going to be Christ's charitable life. So point one was Christ's charity. Point two is Christ's charitable life. In John chapter two, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just paraphrase some of these for you because it's all throughout the gospel. But if you're taking notes, write these down. John two, it says Jesus is at a wedding, right? Jesus goes to this wedding and his mom is there, and his mom realizes that Jesus is one, he's a guy that he's just gonna help people. If there's a person in need, he wants to help them. And his mom's at this wedding. And a terrible thing happens. They run out of wine at this wedding. It was an atrocity. In fact, it actually would have been a huge shame. It would have been a, a huge uh, disgrace to this family. I mean, it was not a small deal to run out of something like this. It, like to run out of food or to run out of drink at, at the <laughs> wedding was, was really shameful. And, and so it wasn't a small thing. It wasn't like, oh, can you run to the store sort of a situation. It was Oh my gosh, this is terrible, you know. And and what ends up happening is his mom goes over to him, and he goes, "They've run out." And Jesus is like, oh, "Why are you involving me in this?" You know. And and his mom just turns to the servants and says, "Do whatever he tells you to do." And she just knows, like, he's going to help them because it's just who he was. And then he ends up, you know, turning water into wine, and it turned out to be really great wine. So Jesus is a great guy to have at your party if you run out, and so. But in that sense, I mean, it, he, he stepped in to help this person. And it was such a small thing. But it was one of those that goes, I'm going to help. Because that's just who he is and what he does. Sort of a situation. You look at John 4. And we're going to hit some of these. You look at John 4 in Jesus' life. And Jesus shows his graciousness and his charitable heart to this woman at this well. And this woman has been ostracized by her community. You know, she's, she's had multiple... Uh, essentially, she's had multiple lovers. She's, she's not married. She's still with a man who's not her husband. And, and she shows up in the middle of the day to get water from this well because that's the only time of day she can show up and not be around other people. And, and she even recognizes Jesus talks to her. And this was a big deal because she's a Samaritan woman above and beyond that, but he's, he's reaching out. To this woman and connecting with her and engaging with her as a person in need who, who needs something and he's not going to go hey I'm I can't talk to you because you're, you're in this position in life or whatever but he goes no I, I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you I'm going to reach out and you know what ended up happening is that woman ended up going back into her town and helping people come to know Jesus and find Jesus and what, what maybe did that do to her for the rest of her life that she was somebody who actually helped other people come and find the Messiah, uh, how would that have impacted her and affected her? You know, In the words, in just a little bit, the small ways. And this is something that to us may seem small, but this could be really powerful. If you were an outcast of society, and somebody just reached out to you because you were a person in need, how powerful is that? It may seem small to us, but that's a huge thing. And that's, but that's just who Jesus was. And the, the aspect of, of reaching out and being and helping people in need. In John 5, we, we look and we see how Jesus heals a crippled man and helps him to walk. And Jesus didn't even tell him who he was. He just comes in, sees this person in need, and he's, he goes, I'm going to help you. I'm going to serve you. And he wanted nothing in return. So much so that he didn't tell the guy who he was. He just heals him calls him to leave his sin, and doesn't tell him anything else. You know, if i got to say, if I could go into Fletcher Allen and like heal somebody, you know, uh, that would be pretty cool. I, I mean, I don't know how I'd feel about, you know, I, I think I might want them to know my name so that I could like bring them to church and tell them about Jesus. You know, I'd have to struggle with that. But Jesus is like, I just want to help you. And I'm not expecting anything in return. To just give without getting is an incredible act of charity. You know, we look at John 6. He feeds 5,000 people, right? Peter talked about this. He feeds... Well, it, it says that there were 5,000 men there. We don't know exactly how many people were there. We know that there was a 5,000 plus individuals there. And he goes, what inspired him is he saw these people's need... And then he tells his, his disciples, we're going to feed them. You go feed them. You know." And it brings up all the discussion of well, how are we going to do this? And then he, he ends up causing a miracle, breaking just a few loaves of bread and some fish and then feeds 5,000 people and collects way more food than they had at, at, at the beginning. But in all of this, Jesus sees need, provides for them and is not looking to really get anything in return there. You know, we look at John 9, and Jesus heals this man born blind. And Jesus, the the blind boy, the blind guy knows who Jesus is. He's probably a young man. He knows that it was Jesus, but he didn't get to see him. And Jesus tells him, you know, go, put some mud on his eyes, and sends him to wash, and he comes back, and he heals people. That's not a small thing. You know, turning water into wine, that's a cool thing, you know, showing up and bringing wine to a party. That, that's a nice thing. Being there and, and being there with the woman, but then starting to heal people and not expecting anything from them in return, not expecting payment, you know, not providing His name to a lot of these people. I mean, if you could do these things, wouldn't you want some recognition? I, I, I think I would. I would, like to, uh, I would like to think I'm more altruistic than that, but honestly, I'm probably not you know, and then I want to be more like Jesus in that and be more humble, but amen. But whether these issues are big or small, Jesus had a heart to gener- generously pour out aid to those that are in need. Right? He had a heart to help people and he, who hadn't really earned any special favor from Him. Like, they didn't... They didn't earn what He did for them. They didn't earn His grace. They didn't earn the favor. They didn't earn that charity. And so it might seem that I'm talking more about compassion. And there is no doubt that compassion is present as well. But I would assert that this compassion comes from a charitable and gracious heart. And so without this, this graciousness, without this heart of understanding this, there can be no compassion. Compassion itself can only come from a heart that is gracious, that is charitable, that that is prone to showing favor to people when they don't deserve it. That's just who Jesus is. Right? And there are more examples like this throughout the the book of John uh, that we could go through. But for the sake of time, I won't because I want to establish the most amazing act of charity of Jesus. Right? The most incredible example of his charitable life and that wasn't with strangers necessarily but was really with his friends and with his enemies as well in John 13 Jesus predicts his own betrayal and tells that even his closest friends are going to turn away from him and are going to deny him that in and of itself would be so... I mean, can you just imagine how immensely hurtful that would be if so many of us just blatantly betrayed one another in here? I mean, you think about it. If you've ever felt betrayed by someone, and Jesus knows, he's like, you guys, you're going to betray me. You're going to leave me behind. You know? Peter himself, he tells you, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, I'm going to die with you! And he's like... Eventually, you know, he knows that he will, but he's like, today you're going to deny me three times. Judas goes and betrays him and he knows that all the other guys are going to end up abandoning him as well. Yet here's the thing, that's John 13. In John 14 through 16, still knowing that he's about to be betrayed, and I would just challenge all of us to consider how your response would be if you knew it was going to happen, but in John 14 14 through 16, you see Jesus go and begins to just pray for His guys. He begins to pray for all of the disciples. He's on His knees and He begins to beg the Father to keep them unified, to keep them together, to protect them, to keep them safe from Satan's schemes. And He's, he's praying and then He knows what's coming too. He knows that His enemies are coming to Him. And He's, he's praying knowing that what's going to happen and what needs to be done so that people could be saved. Right? And he knows his enemies are coming. And yet, despite all of that, he still prays for them. That, to me, is like, man, how do you show that sort of charity of heart when when people don't deserve your favor? You feel like, you don't deserve my prayers because you betrayed me. You know what I mean? And yet, Jesus is there on praying to God for them. I'm like, man... That's my God. That's who I serve. That's a, that's the next level calling, right? You get what I'm saying? I mean, that's a challenge to me in my heart to be forgiving to those who've offended and hurt me and, and made me feel betrayed in my life. And that's happened. I can't say that hasn't happened. It, it calls me to let go of things. You know, and and in this though, so we look at it, and then starting in John eighteen through John nineteen, we see Jesus get arrested, we see him get mocked, we see him get spit on, we see him defy like he, he's he is denied justice, and then he's murdered. Right? And yet he's murdered. And not in John's gospel, but we know that he pleads and he tells God, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. As he's on the cross as He's on the cross, in agony. Who deserves that kind of charity of spirit? You know what I mean? And and still praying for these people and asking for for them to be forgiven. You know, that's just this exceptional example of the defining grace, graciousness, charitable heart of Jesus. Right? Right? And so as I, I think about all of this, this is the most overwhelming, incredible act of grace and charity, unearned favor, whatever you want to call it. Here is Jesus graciously forgiving those who have injured Him the most. You know, what's amazing, His, his life didn't end there. So praise God, amen. <laughs> right, we talk about Jesus was, was murdered. He was. But amen! Amen! We don't believe that he just stayed dead. Right. Praise God. You know, his life didn't in there. We know and believe that through the power of God, he was raised from the dead on the third day. That for a period of 40 days, he appeared to hundreds of people. Hundreds of eyewitnesses saw him and talked to him and met him. They ate with him. They heard him preach. They knew it was Him. And then after this, this time period, they watched Him ascend into heaven. And, and we believe that to this day, Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And to this day, for us, He still intercedes to God for us on our behalf. Even despite when we didn't deserve it, Jesus is still interceding for us. So this isn't something that just happened a long time ago. This is what Jesus is still doing for us today, pouring out His grace on us to this very day. And so what do we do with this incredible gift? How do we respond when we consider the grace and, and the charitable heart of Jesus? When we consider this life lived with incredible charity, when we consider that we believe that He's still alive, but ascended in with God in heaven right now. Interceding for us. So this life that's still going on, how do we respond to that life? And so point three is inspired by Christian charity. What do we do when we're inspired by Christian charity? Turn over to Titus chapter 2. You know, in all this teaching, I, I, I think that for me, this is impactful and powerful, not because of... And I recognize, I hope that, that God is moving in your heart and, and challenging you and, and calling you and helping you understand grace in a different way. But where this is really going to impact your hearts is not here, but it's at home in your own quiet times in your own time of reflection, and considering how God's grace is, is in your life to this day. So I, I hope that you will take this home and not just hear this as just today, but go home and really reflect on it. Go over some of these passages. Study out this word, you know, God, just study out grace and understanding and looking at it and going, how is this impacting my life today? To so not just leave here hearing this, but to go and study it in a deeper level. Because that's where we're really going to find the joy and everything that this kind of love brings. But in in, uh, Titus 2, what do we do with this life? We're going to look at verse 11. We're going to start in verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good these then are the things you should teach Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do what is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. When He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be, care- be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. What we see here in this passage of Scripture is that what was written... That this was written with a purpose of reminding and directing God's people on how to live. And so for us, you know, when we're considering this concept of grace with it, the first thing I want to encourage us to is to consider what you once were. Or maybe what you are now. Right? People who once stood in opposition to God through our sin. That we were once those individuals that, that... As he writes, you know, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved. All of these things, we were that at one point. But it was at that time that God was still interceding on our behalf. Still working in our lives to provide grace and, and provide opportunities for us. And we were still that way. It was then that God died for us, that Christ died for us. You know... But because of his love and his graciousness, we have an opportunity of life. Anything after that, we can ask ourselves hopefully, how can I extend this same heart of graciousness to others? How can how can all of us or each of us extend this sort of heart like Jesus? charitableness to other people. You know, when I read, uh, be ready, do what is good, slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, show true humility to all. I think those seem pretty straightforward, don't you think? Um, But at the same time, I ask the question, what does it mean to do what is good? That's so broad. If I told you, oh, well, go do what's good. You'd be like, well, what is... What's, what's good in this you know what I'm talking about you're like ah, I, I kind of I think I understand what's good so I ask myself that question and really I, I'm bringing it in here soon but I would, I would bring it for me I would bring it to probably three things that I work on that, that I would apply this to myself um, I would consider that I want to give, how, how do I do what is good? How do I be peaceable? How do I, uh, how do I apply graciousness in my life? And I would say one of the first things I want to do to do what's good and to be gracious to other people, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I want to be gracious enough to give people the benefit of the doubt uh, even when they haven't deserved it. When they haven't earned my benefit of the doubt. Because Jesus, while I was still in sin, right, died for me. Um, He he died for me. He, He was still doing good for me in my life. I want to be able to kind of extend that sort of charitableness to other people. You know, because that's what Jesus did for me to me it means that I should when I look at Jesus I should let go as best I can of past and and even present hurts and wrongs that people have done to me because the idea of being a charitable spirit is you let things go like you, you would give to somebody when they haven't earned it and a lot of people haven't earned forgiveness so to speak does that make sense? And yet, Jesus is forgiving on the cross, right? And so he's saying, hey, I want to be like that, like Jesus. And, and lastly, I want to treat people with greater kindness than anybody deserves. I saw this, um, I saw this bumper sticker. Uh, oddly, I saw it yesterday. It said, treat people kinder than you need to. It's, it's, that's all it said. Treat people kinder than you need to, or that it, that is called for, something like that. It was so simple. And I was like, that's such a great suggestion. If we all did that, I mean, especially if you work in retail, they'd be fired up. You know, I've worked in retail, I've worked Black Friday. If people would all be nicer during that time, that would be wonderful. But what if we were all like that all the time? To be more charitable and kind and, and friendly. We could just have a more charitable disposition. To be defined by charity. And the reality is, it takes time in prayer and Bible study to get to a place where my heart is more like this. It does. It's important that we all, that we all recognize that it's, if you try to start with just doing before being, that's not going to be helpful. Right? So don't try to do this on your own power. I encourage you, get to know Jesus like this. Get to know this heart of Jesus. Study out what He's done for you. Really let that impact you, because it's from that source of inspiration and motivation that you're going to find the strength to be able to do these other things. So don't focus on doing before you get to the, the being, the motivation behind it. You're going to get burnt out. Does that make sense? Yes. Because I don't want us focusing on the wrong things. This isn't a do-better sort of a sermon. It's, hey, let's Let's look to Jesus. And once we find that, that inspiration is going to motivate us. Because it's just, that's what we're feeding ourselves. That's what we're getting from Jesus. That's who we're learning to be. And I hope today that really, in conclusion, you can understand God's grace a little bit better. You can understand the heart of of being charitable, of being gracious. That in our friendships with each other, we can maybe let, let it go a little bit easier, of, of hurts. Whether they're friends, strangers, enemies, that you we can learn to be charitable and love people as Jesus loved. You know, that being gracious is about this heart, of, of giving to people despite whether or not they've earned it. It's not easy, but here's the thing. As we live this way and allow God to build this within ourselves, a gracious heart, we will be a community that people walk in and they, they see the joy, they see the love, they see the kindness and the friendship and the camaraderie. And we will be the people of the kingdom of heaven. And we are the people of the kingdom of heaven, but people will walk in and just feel it. And even when we go into the world, they're going to feel, well, wow, you're different. There's something different. And it's going to be about Jesus. Let's be the people that change the world. Amen. Amen.